0: Take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 5. In a series of messages that focus on questions in the Bible, this is the same chapter we were in last Sunday. Last Sunday, we looked at a question that came from Pharaoh when he asked Moses, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Because Pharaoh didn't know the Lord, he didn't know God, he refused to let the Israelites go into the wilderness to celebrate a festival under the Lord. And because of the question or because of the request of Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh decided to make life much worse for the Israelites. They were building storehouses and cities for Pharaoh out of mud baked brick. And Pharaoh would supply the straw for the brick. But after he encounters Moses and Aaron, he tells his officers, to no longer supply the straw for the brick. Well, you can imagine what happened. The Israelites now have to take time to find straw for the bricks. To top it off, Pharaoh tells his officers to maintain the current quota of bricks. And so the Israelite foremen know that they're in trouble because they're told you still must, must make, a, you can't reduce your daily amount of bricks. So it gets so bad that the foremen of the sons of Israel come and appeal to Pharaoh to ease their burden. And Pharaoh says, you're lazy. You're lazy. That's why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So that's the context of what we're looking at today when we come to chapter 5 and verse 20. It says, when they left Pharaoh's presence, we're talking about the Israelite foreman, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you've made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants to to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Man, they're upset. They're frustrated. And here's our question of the day from the mouth of Moses when he asked God, O Lord, why? Why hast thou brought harm to this people? Why didst thou ever send me Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he's done harm to this people, and thou hast not delivered thy people at all. Have you ever asked God why? There's probably not a person here today that hasn't asked God why at some point in their life. All right. Why God? Why why me? And there are lots of why questions. But please understand where the why question tends to take most of us. It usually takes us to our hurts, doesn't it? Our losses, the, the tough experiences of life. Why questions don't take us to the good things and to the blessings. If Publisher's Clearinghouse shows up at your house today and says you've won $7,000 a week for life, are you going to go, Why God? Why me? No. The why questions take us to the tough stuff, the bad stuff of life. And, those things were, we're just left holding the pieces, and it doesn't seem like we can put the pieces back together. And we're at a loss as to why this happened. Why God allowed us to go through that? And if why isn't the most common question we ask God, it may well be the loudest question that we ask God. Why gets at the reason, the purpose, the cause of something. And let me just say there are no easy answers to why questions. In fact. There are a lot of times we just have to stand back and admit, I don't know why. And people may try to give you all sorts of answers, but in essence, they don't know either. It's easy to give some glib answer about suffering to someone until it's your loved one that's in that accident. Or your child that's in the hospital, when it's your job that's been eliminated, or your marriage that's on the rocks, or when it's your loved one that has cancer, or when it's your loved one that just unexpectedly died. And there aren't any easy answers for our why questions. We want to know why something bad has happened. We want to know why God hasn't intervened to save us from that. Why is the question we ask when we're trying to understand something that just doesn't make sense, and we say, Why, God? And when we do that, we're actually asking a question about God's sovereignty. Is God really in control of this universe? Is God really all-powerful? And if you listen to the world's answers, they can frighten you. Because the world might say, well, God is powerless. He has no power. That's why it happened. God can't stop it. He just doesn't have the strength to do anything about it. He may want to help us, but he doesn't have the power. This view was first popularized by Harold Kushner, a rabbi who wrote the book, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, because Kushner watched his son Aaron contract a rare disease that caused him to age prematurely, and he died in his teenage years. And so, therefore, Kushner, this rabbi, concluded that God cares, but he just must not be able to do anything about it. Well, that doesn't help me any. Does it help you? And, 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 then, and it just doesn't hold water. I mean, logically, how do you rectify someone that can create the universe and everything that exists, but yet he's not able to affect the minute details of that universe? That makes sense. Or the world may say, God, if he exists, he doesn't care. He's indifferent. He's indifferent. He doesn't care. Polytheism, pantheism, deism, they all essentially hold that view. According to deism, God started it all. He got the engine of the the universe up and running. But then he just kind of went out to another universe and took a break. He put our world on autopilot. He's turned his back on us and he doesn't care. That's kind of the way Job's wife was, what she was trying to tell Job. Job, just curse God and die. He doesn't care about you. If he did, you wouldn't be going what you're going through. So just curse God and die. Or the world may say, well, your God just makes these things happen. God causes everything to happen. God forces or he makes tragedies occur. Really? That doesn't seem to be consistent with what we read in James chapter 1. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, in whom is no variation or shifting shadow. Whereas, what does it say of Satan? Satan has come to steal and kill and destroy. That's his agenda. No, God allows some things to happen, but he doesn't cause bad things to happen. He permits them. He allows them. And the truth is that when we're in the midst of our pain and our suffering, there is no one answer that's going to bring us complete satisfaction. And maybe the biggest mistake that Christians make is expecting that there's going to be one answer, one silver bullet that's going to make the pain go away. And even some solid, rational, make-sense answer can, can feel insulting to the person that's going through the suffering. So how does the Bible... Answer the why question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, one possible reason is that sometimes it's because of our own decisions. Sometimes we just make bad choices and we got to pay the price for it, right? I mean, sometimes our own choices cause us to go through tough stuff. If we lie or if we steal, hey, we could wind up in prison over that. If you abuse your body, you're going to have consequences physically that you're going to have to deal with. And praise God, he has given us a manual on how to live our life, right? But if we go about things and do it our way, we're going to pay the consequences. But if we do it his way, we'll receive some blessings. And it may be hard to hear, but sometimes the answer to why is because of our own sinful choices. I mean, can you be upset at a police officer who pulls you over and gives you a ticket if you're doing 15 or 20 miles an hour over the speed limit? No. So sometimes the answer to why is because of our own poor decisions. Sometimes the answer to why is so that God can receive glory. You ever think about that one? In John chapter 9, it records Jesus' encounter with a man born blind. And his disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. So sin didn't cause it. God didn't cause it to discipline the man or his parents. Jesus said it would be used to glorify God, and then he went and healed the man. And I wonder how many of our why questions have this answer, so that God can receive glory. God has healed some people physically in our church the past couple, three years. Why did they have to go through that tough stuff? I wonder if it wasn't so that God could receive glory. Here's another reason bad things happen to good people, and that's sometimes because of other people's decisions. They're poor choices. I mean, if you're mugged on the street, you're suffering because of another person's sin. Your child might rebel against you and cause you pain. You might be un- Your mate might be unfaithful to you and cause suffering. You might be hit by a drunk driver on the way home. Your parents might get a divorce. The point is sometimes our suffering, the answer to why... It's because of someone else's poor decisions. And I, I think this happens quite a bit, doesn't it? I don't think that's uncommon. Here's another reason. Sometimes suffering is the result of satanic attack. Just an attack by the devil. In the Old Testament, Job suffered bankruptcy, the simultaneous death of all ten of his children. He suffered misery from physical misery with the boils all over his body. And it wasn't because of God's discipline or Job's sin or anybody else's sin. It was God allowing Satan to attack him. And in 2 Corinthians, you read Paul says that his physical problems were, uh, were from Satan. And God permitted those things to happen to Paul and to Job, but he didn't cause it. And maybe we underestimate how many times there is darkness behind the attack, behind the suffering. And usually we tend to ask the why question over the big issues or events when in our own limited wisdom we can't logically explain some catastrophic event or some painful experience that affects our family. Now let me say this, and you've heard me say this before, New Hope Christian Church better be on her guard. We're working hard. We're trying to make an impact for Christ in our community and beyond, right? And good things have been happening. The Lord's been blessing us with increase, and he's been at work among us. We're excited about all that, but there's someone who's threatened by all of it, and is furious. And that's the devil. And it makes him want to come after us, and so we had better be on our guard We don't know what tactic he'll use. Maybe he'll try to divide and conquer. Maybe he'll sow the seeds of division and disunity among us because he knows that'll cause the work of God to stop. And we must not let that happen. So sometimes bad things happen because of other people's decisions. Sometimes they happen because of our own decisions. Sometimes it's a result of Satan's attacks. But many times it's because we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. The book of Romans says creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And this problem of suffering goes all the way back to Genesis when Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. And it just put everything out of kilter. This world has been out of sync ever since. There are droughts and floods and hurricanes and volcanoes and tornadoes and heat waves and viruses and fires. And and the air is polluted, the water is contaminated, and the ground is poisoned. I mean, from the time sin came into the world, the whole system of the world has been out of balance And the Apostle Paul says it's just the beginning of birth pains and eventually it will lead us to the return of Jesus. And I don't know when that will be, neither do you. Who knows, maybe it will be today or tomorrow. But until that day when Christ returns, we're going to continue to live in a fallen world. And in this world, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That means if a knife can cut bread, it can cut my finger. And the force of gravity that holds me here on the earth is not gonna be suspended if I fall out of a tree. And tornadoes may hit bars and taverns, but they'll also hit churches and homes. And cancer may hit adults in their old age, but cancer will also strike children as well. And most often God's not causing those problems but he never promised us exemption from those problems. He permits them. Very rarely does he come down and stop the laws of nature, and sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. But understand this. God promises us strength in the storm, not exemption from the storms. And Christ was very candid about that. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation. And boy, he was right. So to all of you that are asking like Moses did, oh Lord, why? Why? Let me give you four brief reminders. Number one, God wants you to know you're not alone. You're not. Hebrews thirteen five says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In John the 14th chapter, Jesus promises that Well, we won't be left alone in the world. The Holy Spirit will comfort us with a peace that passes all understanding. We are not alone. Secondly, God knows how you feel. There is something that strengthens us when we talk to other people that have been through what we're going through. And the book of Hebrews says that God is able to sympathize with us. Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he remained without sin. And so in Hebrews 4, 16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God knows how we feel. He's been through it all. Thirdly, God would say that your pain won't be wasted. Your pain won't be wasted. One way that God uses pain for the good is to draw people towards Christ. Christ. And we never, we never regret that kind of pain, but those that let suffering and distress drive them away from God are going to be full of regrets, wind up on a deathbed of regrets. You see, God can use our pain and suffering to make us look more like Jesus. In fact, Romans 8, 28, a favorite memory verse of many, God can cause everything to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. But the next verse also goes on and explains to us that we're being conformed into the likeness of God. And so when you go through suffering, you go through pain, through a tough time at work, God's molding you and shaping you so you'll look more like Him. And so that people will be able to see that distinct difference. God works in your pain so that you'll look more like Christ, which means your pain is never in vain. He works in all things to produce a Christ-like maturity. It's like parents that allow their child to go through a painful vaccination. They know that it will be a help to them. They're looking at the greater good. And so maybe God God uses the cancer to teach us to value the eternal. Maybe God allows you to have a difficult boss to teach you self-control. Maybe God will allow you to go through a period of unemployment so that You'll learn to depend upon Him more than anything else. Maybe God will allow a a colicky baby to teach you some patience. Peter Kreeft is a Christian philosopher and professor at Boston College. He says, only in a world where faith is difficult can faith exist. Good point. Our challenges can actually point us to the Lord he doesn't cause all things but he can cause all things to work together for our good and we come out on the other side of it looking a little bit more like Jesus God never wastes a hurt and here's the last reminder I would give you and that's the pain will be over soon it'll be over soon Romans eight eighteen, Paul that endured incredible hardship said I consider that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, we can endure a lot of pain if we can see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? If we know there's going to be a happy ending, we can can endure a lot. If we know there's a reward for enduring those times of testing, if there's a, a reason to hold on, and there is, because there's a glory that awaits us for all of eternity, and that eternal glory is going to so far overshadow the tough things we've went through in this life, they're not even worth comparing. And we may have to suffer our entire life on this earth, and it may not be fun. But the glory that awaits will be worth it all. In the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, verses 3 through 5, we get a glimpse into heaven. It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And on that day when we get to heaven... All of the why questions will be answered. We will know fully as we have been fully known. God will give us, I believe, a measure of understanding to help us comprehend what we've been through. And on that day, we're not going to be asking God anymore, why did I have to go through that? Why did you allow that to happen to me? I think if there's any white question at all that we ask God when we get to heaven, it'll be this one. God, why would you let me in here? Why did you save a sinner like me? So Moses cried out to the Lord, O Lord, why? Why are you letting these bad things happen to your people? And why did you ever send me back? Ever since I came back, you haven't saved your people. You ever ask God why? You may not ever receive an answer in this lifetime to that question. But I can guarantee you, you're not alone. And glory awaits if you remain faithful to him. If you have a decision you'd like to make for Christ today, a public decision, you can meet me down front as we stand, as we sing.